Thank you. That was a good introduction to the sermon, the song, beautiful song. I read in amusement uh, about a Japanese investment company uh, called uh, Mizuho Securities Company. Uh, in 2005, they lost $225 million uh, on the stock trade within one second, few seconds, uh, for a very rookie mistake. They accidentally typed in, they meant to say that, uh, they meant to say that uh, each share will cost 610,000 yen. 610,000 yen at that time was about US $5,300. So per share is worth 5,300 US dollar, which is 6,000 yen. But ended up, they say, 610,000 shares for one yen. Can you imagine that? 610,000 610, shares for one yen and they lost 225 million just like that very quickly and uh, set off the Nikkei 225 index to go down nearly 2% my friend as we come to the book of Galatians we've been plowing through this is no rookie mistake you can't afford to make this kind of mistake where Paul has been addressing that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from law, apart from works. And he has been plowing through religiously, diligently, chapter 1 and 2, defending his authority. Defending his authority as an apostle, preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. This message, this gospel message that he himself experienced. And... Chapter 3 and 4, he went to great lengths to unpack, to defend, using his skill as a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee, using his skill, an analytical skill, legalist, legal mind, to analyze the text from the Old Testament and trying to put it all together to convince the people that even right from the start, from Scripture, salvation is always by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we, did, we went through that, and now we come to chapter 5, and he's going to bring in some very fundamental application, because the concern is always, if salvation is by grace, does it mean to say that I can live whatever way I want to? After all, it's by grace. God will forgive me anyway. And Paul is now going to transit. Chapter 1 to 12, he still dwells on the transition. And then from chapter 13 right to the end of chapter 6, he's going to zoom in what true Christian freedom is all about. It is not legalism. It is not license to sin. It is about liberty to serve God. And so today, I'm going to cover verse 1 to 15 in chapter 5. Again, it's still under transition in some sense, especially chapter uh, verses 1 to 12. And the title of the sermon is Stand Firm in Your Freedom. Paul begins with verse 1. And he says this, It is, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Remember, he has accumulated all his argument. All that he argues and he finished off that section with this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke 
of slavery, which is referring to the law. In order you think that law is going to save you by obeying all the laws, Paul is saying, do not go down that pathway again because Christ has set us free. I mean, immediately when I look at this verse, there are two parts to it, isn't it? The first part is, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. For every believer, for every follower of Christ, we must know that Jesus set us free. Jesus set us free from the law of sin and death, from condemnation. And therefore, Jesus' whole mission was to free us. Paul tells us in the clearest terms that in Jesus Christ, we have been set free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And then he went on to warn us that we must not let ourselves be burdened again by this yoke of slavery. By this yoke of slavery. You are free. You are free from your past sins. Justification. From the penalty of sin. You have been set free from the penalty of sin when you believe in Jesus. And then you are set free from the power of sin in the present. That sin still dominates our lives, but when we yield to Christ, we can work towards overcoming sin. The power of sin, the penalty of sin, the power of sin. And in the future, we'll be set free completely from the presence of sin. Past, present, future. Justification, sanctification, glorification. That is what Christ came to set us free. And then he said, do not return back to this yoke of slavery. Do not return back to this yoke of slavery by believing that it is true the obedience of our effort in keeping the law that you will be set free. And then, with this introduction, he went on to expound from verses 2 to 12. He gave us two reasons, I believe. Two reasons how you can stand free. How you can stand firm in your freedom. Two things. By realizing what's at stake. Stand firm in your freedom by realizing what is at stake if you don't. And then, from verses uh, 7 to 12, is by asking you to shine away from these people who try to bring you back to the law. So let me begin by touching on the first point from verses 2 to 6. Stand firm in your freedom by realizing what is at stake. Christ has set us free. If you return back to the law, you must know what is at stake. So Paul is saying, don't go down back this pathway of being burdened again by this yoke of slavery. First thing in verse 2, so I just stand firm in your freedom by realizing what is at stake. He's saying that Jesus plus nothing equal everything. Jesus plus nothing equal everything. That is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that the gospel of grace, the gospel according to what I've received from the Lord is Jesus plus nothing equal everything. But the Judaizer, the Jewish believer, you say, no, 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 no. Jesus plus something equals salvation. Jesus, yes, we believe in Jesus plus your work, plus your obedience to all this law, which in this context is circumcision, observing the Mosaic law, the ceremonial law, because they want to reconvert this Gentile believer back to the Jewish custom and say, no, 
Yes, Paul said Jesus plus nothing equals everything. No, we are saying to you that Jesus plus something equals salvation. And so Paul is saying, no, Jesus plus something is actually equal nothing. He's going to revert back and say salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If you change this equation, Paul say that Jesus plus nothing equal everything. If you change this equation, then you'll be in trouble. There are a lot at stake when you change the equation to Jesus plus something else equals salvation. If you change this equation to this equation, there will be great things at stake. And he's going to show us three things at stake. Firstly, Christ and his work will be of no value to you. Christ will be of no value. If you, if you switch the equation, if you go back to the law to be saved, then Christ will be of no value to you. Paul said, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, but, but believing that being circumcised, you then are considered saved, Paul said, then if that is the case, Christ will be of no value to you. This is shocking. If we trust in Christ plus our own obedience, we lose all the benefits of trusting in Christ. And this is not a minor issue at all. Paul said, don't go down that pathway. Let me give you an example. Imagine you own a cricket bat that you had Sir Don Bradman's signature on it. You just happened to be there and he signed you a cricket bat and you had it for many many years but you are short of cash and you decided to auction it or sell it but you also realize that his autograph on that bat is beginning to fade away and you are a little bit worried and so you came up with a brilliant idea of buying a, a marker and tried to write over that autograph by Don Bradman. You laugh because you know you just turned a piece of priceless bat into a worthless bat when you do that. And that is what Paul is saying that if we do, if we try to bring that law into your salvation, you just turn what Christ has done on the cross into worthless. Nothing for you at all. That's exactly what we do to Jesus' work when we try to add something to it. One scholar said, His finished work cannot be refinished. It can only be destroyed. He must be a perfect saviour or he is no saviour. Is either Jesus Christ in his perfection or our own works. There is no middle ground. If we trust in our own obedience, we deface the work of Christ. Jesus and his gospel will be of no value to us at all. The cross of Christ Graham Rankin said, The cross of Christ is the all-sufficient ground for the salvation of sinners. It claims to be sturdy enough to support the whole weight of our guilt all by itself. Therefore, to boast in the cross properly at all is to boast in the cross alone. 
John Stott say the Christian has been set free from the law in the sense that his acceptance before God depends entirely upon God's grace in the death of Jesus Christ received by faith. To introduce the works of the law and make our acceptance depend on our obedience to the rules and regulation was to bring a free man into bondage again. So Paul here was trying to tell Christ has set you free. Do not return back to the yoke of slavery. If you do that, you, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Secondly, Paul says, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised. He almost repeat himself again, isn't it? I declare, every, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. So if you want to return back to the old law, I mean, if you want to return back to the salvation by law, Jesus plus something equals salvation. You want to return to the equation, then you are obligated to obey the whole law. You cannot pick and choose. If you think you prefer to be saved by your obedience and keeping the law, then you are obligated to obey the whole law. As the word says, isn't it? We often use lock, stock, and barrel. That's the phrase, isn't it? It means total, all, everything. Lock, stock, and barrel. You just cannot have one part of it and expect it to function like a rifle. There's no point just having the lock or the barrel or the stock. It has to be all or none. Can you imagine you go to auction a house? You stand there and they are bidding, your, uh, people are bidding, and then you start to raise it. Can I only buy the master bedroom <laughs> and the kitchen? I don't want the rumpus room. And a guest room. I definitely don't want a garden. That's what Paul is saying here. You can't pick and choose from the law and add a bit of obedience. It's a package deal. Once you try to pick up a bit of the law, you have to pick up the whole thing. You can't pick and choose. It's either you're saved completely by obeying the law, or you can't and you just bow under the sovereign grace of God and say, Lord, please come and save me. So the second thing is at, at stake is that you are obligated to obey the whole law. And thirdly, you will be fallen away from grace. That is another thing that is at stake. You must realize what is at stake. You will be fallen away from grace. The, the people who believe that by works they are saved, by law they are saved, and trying to observe that, trying to live on the equation of Jesus plus something equals salvation, they think that they are climbing up nearer to God. But in reality, they are falling away from grace. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Why? Because grace and self-justification are mutually exclusive. You have to choose. And the minute you try to accomplish your own salvation, you are removing yourself from the grace and mercy of Christ. So what is the alternative? Paul said this is the alternative. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. 
the righteousness meaning to say that you are being declared righteous that God accepts you because of your righteousness he said we eagerly await for the faith the righteousness for which we before in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value the only thing that counts is, is faith expressing itself through love this is the first hint of the remaining from verse 13 onwards he's going to expound on faith expressing itself through love that your Christian faith your liberty your salvation based on your belief in Christ is not the platform to lead you to sin more but it is going to express your faith through love this is what it means to follow Christ. Instead of relying on our own obedience, we trust in the saving work of Jesus on the cross for righteousness. It means looking to Christ instead, to, uh, instead of to ourselves. To be circumcised or not circumcised means nothing at all in terms of God's judgment of us. All that matters is whether our faith is in Jesus rather than in ourselves. So, get clear on this, Paul says. In order for you to stand firm in Christ, stand firm on your freedom, you must realize that this is not a minor issue. Stand firm in your freedom because you realize what's at stake. Recognize that, then you will hang on to the freedom. Secondly, Paul says that stand firm in your freedom by rejecting not just by recognizing what is at stake, but by rejecting those who want to enslave you. Reject these people. In your course of your Christian journey, many will come. All kinds of strange preachers will come. As the Word of God says, in the last day, there will be more and more false teachers and false prophets. And we have to stand firm and reject this fundamental heart of the gospel that is salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone where we smell something you have to move away and here Paul mentioned four things about these people from verse 7 to 12 firstly in verse 7 they are meddlers Paul referring to these people they say you were running a good race you start on a good footing who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? This Judaizer. These people who believe in this equation that Jesus plus something equals salvation. Paul says Jesus plus something is equal nothing. Don't. They are meddlers. You were running well. These false teachers, they have cut in and tripped them up. And now they are in danger of being disqualified. So, Reject these people. Don't listen to the false teachers. And secondly, Paul also said that these kind of people, they are, they are not God's messengers at all. They are false teachers. Verse 8, that kind, sorry, verse, uh, verse 8, correct. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. They are not teaching what's true. They are teaching false doctrines. And Paul said that these are false teachers. They are not 
God's messenger. And then, verse 9, they contaminate the gospel. Because they contaminate the gospel, therefore they are false teacher. He said, a little yeast, yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Paul uses the example of leavened. Bread doesn't rise unless it has yeast. It only takes a little yeast to do the job. Paul here is saying that it only takes a pinch of law to thoroughly contaminate the gospel. This is why the doctrine is so important. It only takes a little bit of heresy to do a lot of damage. And Paul here is saying they contaminate the gospel by introducing, you know, Jesus, yeah, Jesus, you have to believe him. Yes, Jesus is right. Plus something else. Plus something else. Yeah, we believe in Jesus. Yes, yes, he's correct. But you have to have extra thing on that. It's not about subtracting. It's about addition. And then fourthly, let me skip verse 10 uh, to verse 11 first. They misrepresent Paul. In fact, they seem to be using Paul. I don't think they misrepresent. Maybe that's not the right word to you. They kind of deliberately use Paul, saying, hey, you know what, Paul actually preached circumcision. They're almost like using Paul to endorse their message. They say, Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. They seem to be misrepresenting Paul. This, the Judaizers seem to be using Paul. Paul is also preaching circumcision. After all, he was a Jew. He, also was he was also circumcised anyway. So they seem to be misrepresenting Paul, saying that he teaches circumcision as well. And Paul challenges this and says that nothing could be further from the truth. There seems to go as far as lying to win the Galatians over by saying that Paul also preached and believed the circumcision is essential for salvation. Paul said, well, if I'm doing that, why are they still persecuting me? Obviously, I'm not doing that. I don't believe in that. I've gone through that. I've been there. I've done that. I scaled the height of what it means to be in a Judaistic system. I became a Pharisee and one of the top. I went around persecuting the new kids on the block, the Christians, and persecuted them, even was there for the martyr of Stephen, stoning of Stephen. I was there. The blood was on my hand. I've been through all this. I tried my utmost best to be perfect. But I know I fail miserably, and the grace of God is so attractive to me. But the good news is, verse 10, Paul says they won't succeed. Paul says, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. And then in verse 12, maybe I have that. He went as far as saying, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Or in the New Living Translation, it said, I just wish that the troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. 
You see how strong he is pertaining to, to the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is a great danger in believing what is not true about God and his gospel, Paul is saying. A lot of difficulties in the Christian life comes from not believing what's true about God and his gospel. You know, there's a movement a number of years ago called the Jesus Seminar. You see, you can get his book from the bookstore. The Jesus Seminar. It's so, 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 so nice, isn't it? It's called Jesus Seminar. There are, are a whole bunch of scholars, liberal theologians that comes together and examine the gospel and then block out some of these words that Jesus said. Called the Jesus Seminar. A.W. Ping said the great mistake made by people is hoping to discover in themselves what is to be found in Christ alone. Don't ever let anyone lead you to look away from Christ to look at yourself. Look at what he has done. He is our only hope for freedom. Christianity is about done. D-O-N-E. Done. Not D-O. Do. It's done. Salvation is Secured, done, saved. Jesus is done for us. And therefore, we are to work out our salvation, as what Paul says in Philippians. Not work for our salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm in your freedom by realizing what is at stake. Stand firm in your freedom by rejecting those who want to enslave you again. And then verse 13 to 15 is where he is going to start by expounding on what true freedom is all about. What it actually, after, after clarifying the gospel, and now he's going to say, well, in case you think that Living by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is that it gives you license to sin. Now I'm going to tell you what true freedom is all about. And this is what he said in verse 13 to 15. He said, you, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, rather, use your freedom for what? To serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour, if you use your freedom to do what you want, you'll be biting, devouring each other. Watch out or you will be destroyed. If you use your freedom the wrong way, in thinking that I'm free, you know, I'm, I can do whatever I want now. I'm free in Christ. Christ will forgive me. He gives you the license to, to boldly sin, or what they call sin boldly. Then beware, you're going to be destroyed if you go down this pathway. Whereas, he said, to serve one another humbly in love and to love your neighbor as yourself. As they often say, true freedom is not the permission to do what you like. It's the power to do what you ought. When you do what you ought, it always leads to freedom. Always. Because what you ought to do is the right thing that you ought, you, you're supposed to do. It will always lead to freedom. 
It's not the permission to do what you want, but the power to do what you ought. Freedom does not mean that right to do whatever we please, but rather to do as we ought. The right to do whatever we please reduces freedom to a physical power and forgets that freedom actually is a moral power. Martin Luther contrary paradoxically says that the freedom of the Christian is slavery to love. Slavery to love. If you have a chance, you can go to the uh, internet and look at what John Stott says. John Stott wrote a book called Why I Am a Christian. And he gave a number of reasons, the late John Stott, why he is a Christian. He said, why am I a Christian? He went through systematically a few pointers. And one of the points, a fifth reason, in fact, you can get it for free. The fifth reason, he says, why I'm a Christian is that I have found Jesus Christ to be the key to freedom. He's the key. Jesus is the key to freedom. He's the key to unlock. We often interpret freedom negatively. Freedom from. He expounded on that and he said, you have to also look at positive freedom. Freedom for. Not freedom from, but freedom for what? Freedom for. That's a positive freedom. And he said, I'll give you an example. I have five minutes. I'll give you an example. In this room, for example, everything has a purpose. The microphone is designed for me to speak that I don't have to shout. Right? Uh, the microphone stand is created or made to hold the microphone. An umbrella is made, created for rain or for some Asian shield from sun. Um, only Asians do that for some reason. Uh, not for rain, for sun. <laughs> um, so, so it's made for a purpose. So I park my car at uh, uh, Ajani. So it rains now, I can get an umbrella and walk there and collect my car. But if I don't have an umbrella, uh, for example, a chair. A chair is designed to be seated upon. But if I have no umbrella, I may carry this, this uh, chair as an umbrella and walk across to Ajani and collect my car. Uh, of course, it can shield some of the rain, but the purpose of chair is not to act as an umbrella. So the point I'm making is that everything was designed for a purpose. So then we have to recognize, then the question we have to ask is, what are you made for as a human being? If you can discover what you are created for and the real purpose and you live up to that purpose, you, you, you live fruitful life. And for us believers, throughout gospel is very clear, we are created for God. We are created to love God and love others. And when you are able to live according to what you were made for, then you live out your abundant life. And in conclusion of what uh, John Stott says, I want to paraphrase you a verse that he, Matthew, Mark, oh sorry, Mark chapter 8, verse 35. This verse is very familiar to most of us. He's, uh, who, whoever will save his life shall lose it, yes? And whoever will lose his life for my sake 
and the gospel were savage. And he went on to expound on the word life. He said he always thinks that this word means martyr, almost you will die for Christ and all that. And he went on extensively to unpack it to say that word life could mean self or yourself. And so he paraphrased Mark chapter 8 this way. I have it here for you. And this is the verse that he unpacked it, Mark 8.35. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And this is how he paraphrased it. He says, if you insist on holding on to yourselves and living for yourself and refusing to let yourself go, you will lose yourself instead. But if you are prepared to lose yourself, to give yourselves away in love for God and your fellow human beings, then in that moment of complete abandon, when you think you have lost everything, the miracle takes place and you find yourself. So self-denial does not lead to self-destruction. It leads to self-discovery. And that is what we live for. That is true freedom that we live for God, we serve God with our life, use it out to is what we were meant to be, then we are on the right path. The only freedom that we ever have is when we, became, we become a slave to Jesus Christ. Paradoxically, then we become a slave to Christ, live up to what we ought to do, we find true freedom. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that true freedom is found in Christ. And we are created to love you, to serve you, to worship you. Whatever we do as a tradesman, as a doctor, as a dentist, as a, as a uh, homemaker, uh, work in a cafe, whatever we do, it becomes only a means to serve you. Thank you, Lord. We are free in Christ. Help us never return back to the Lord. We are saved because of Jesus Christ. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.